COVID happened and all that stuff and whatever, you know. Okay. But inshallah, eventually we'll get back to freedom. It doesn't make sense, actually, you know. Like, you should be speaking to the people who are in front of you. Um, someone even reached out recently, very sincere, you know, about, you know, we need some help in country X. And, you know, and mashallah, it's very nice of them and sweet of them, but it's also like the people of country X should speak to the people of country X. You know, I, I can speak to the people of Southern California. <laughs> That's probably the extent of it. Um, sometimes, you know, there can be exceptions, but so much gets misunderstood online. Anyways, Bismillah. <coughs> Bismillah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Allahumma salli wa sallam wa barik ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Do we have a timeline on when I should stop? Do you know? 7.30? Okay. Maghrib is getting close now. Maghrib is what? 7 here? 7 what? 7.40 probably? 7.35, Mm-hmm. 42. So the idea is to eat before Maghrib? Sorry, I just want to know what to do ahead of time. This is the time of the year where it gets tricky. You know, I can't figure out exactly how to stop things. But inshallah, bismillah. The author says the following, May Allah forgive him and accept from him and benefit him and us by his knowledge in this life and the next. Amen. I was thinking about this book today. The author died in 243. Isn't that incredible? If you think about it, he died in 243 after Hijra. It's like a whole 1,200 years ago. 1,200 years ago. SubhanAllah. And you read, we read it and it's like relevant as if he said it today. It's amazing. SubhanAllah. <laughs> He said, قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم جنساء الله يوم القيامة الخاضعون المتواضعون الخائفون الذاكرون الله كثيرا So this is where we left off last time. The author al-Muhasibi rahimahullah he says that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said those who are in the company of Allah on the day of, uh, on the day of resurrection are those who are uh, submitted to Allah they're humble, they're fearful of Allah and they remember Allah often. And if you recall, we had said that Sheikh Abdul Fatah Abu Ghadda rahimahullah ta'ala, he said about this narration, he said, هذا الحديث لم أجده فيما رجعت إليه من المراجع الحديثية فالله أعلم به. So Sheikh Abu Ghadda gives us a lesson in adab and how he comments on this. So he knows that this is a work that's well known. He knows that al-muhasibi is early. But he says in the, in the comment, he says, I didn't find this hadith in any of the collections that I, refer, I, I, I searched in. So he's saying, like, I don't know, basically. Yeah. In, in the collections we have, all of the hadith collections, I didn't find it. So I don't know. That's all he said. He didn't say, so the author is this and the author is that. And this is from the 
excesses of the author and he's from the people of the disbelief and he's from the people of this and that and you know so on and so forth he just said I didn't find it so Allah knows best what the situation is with this narration and then he continues to give about a page and a half of stories and things like that that support the meaning of the hadith that support the meaning of the hadith Okay, so it shows you this uh, so we had left off in the comments and we had mentioned the hadith of the Prophet about Ida Marutum Biriad and Jannah Fal Taru Kanuma Riyad and Jannah Yarasullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Kana Hinakadik. They said if you pass by the gardens of the gardens of paradise, the Prophet told the companions, if you pass by the gardens of the gardens of paradise, then take some rest in them. And they said to him, Ya Rasulullah, what are these gardens? And he said, There are the gatherings of dhikr. Remember? You remember it from last week? And we talked about the rugs. Here you go. Alhamdulillah. So, there's some interesting comments on this actually. Because Ibn Mas'ud, the great companion of the Prophet, when this narration is, whenever it was mentioned to him, he used to say, uh, So he used to say, by this, we don't mean the gatherings of the storytellers. By this, the gatherings of dhikr. By this, we mean the gatherings of fiqh. Gatherings of fiqh is to understand the halal and haram, right? I can do this, I can't do that, so on and so forth. He said, what do we mean when we say the gatherings of dhikr? We mean the gatherings of knowledge. Gatherings of knowledge. Uh, Ibn Mas'ud is saying that. This is also one of the reasons why it's important to go to like the Sahaba in the early generations when it comes to understanding text. Sometimes we might think that the text means something. Like, what we would think is that if the text says the gatherings of dhikr, the immediate thing that comes to your mind is like people sitting around and saying, La ilaha illallah, and saying, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad, and saying, Subhanallah, and making dhikr, right? That's, what, that's what immediately what we would think. Ibn Mas'ud says, we don't, that's not what we mean by this. We mean by this, the gatherings of knowledge. It doesn't mean that the other ones are not part of it also. But what he's trying to indicate is that learning is also a type of dhikr. That if you learn, uh, and this will come in a minute, uh, I, I won't. Uh, uh, so Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu, he used to say, when when death came to him, لما حضرت Mu'adh ibn Jabal al-wafatu, قال مرحبا بالموت مرحبا بزائر جاء على فاقد. He said he said مرحبا بالموت. Subhanallah. He said welcome death. Welcome to a guest that comes and like, you know, you're not, uh, uh, the guest is, it's, it's, it has what it needs, you know. And then he said, Allahumma innika ta'lam anni lam akun uhibb al-baqa' fi dunya li jari al-anhar wala li gharsh al-ajjar walakin kuntu uhibb al-baqa' li mukabatat al-layli al-tawil wa li dhama al-hawajri fi al-harj al-shadid so Mu'adh, he said, when death came to him, he said, welcome to death. And then he said, oh Allah, you know that I didn't want to stay in this life because to enjoy the beautiful rivers or to plant wonderful trees. But I wanted to stay in this life. Not that those things are bad, right? But he said, what did I want from this life? I wanted this life. Why? So that I could stay up in the long nights in prayer. The understanding of it is in prayer 
and so that I could experience thirst on a hot day from fasting, and so that I could have the experience of being in the gatherings of the scholars where people are sitting so close together that their knees are touching. Right? What do you think, Sheikh Honest? It's hard to get it. It's hard. It doesn't go away, huh? You miss it. Like what we, what what you would give to sit in those gatherings? You don't. They don't happen here in the same way. For whatever reason, you know, we don't have the right culture around it. it happened once or twice in the majlis. Maybe one day, if we have our own space, it will happen again, inshallah. But no, there's nothing like it. When like senior people of taqwa, people of knowledge come and like everyone comes and the space is crowded and the knees are touching. Everyone's close, you know. And there's a different, there's a different something in the air. So Mu'ad ibn Jabal, he said that, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. قال عطاء الخراساني رحمه الله مجالس ذكر مجالس حلال وحرام كيف تشتري وتبيع وتصلي وتصوم وتنكح وتطلق وتحج وأشباه هذا عطاء is a great scholar he said he said the gatherings of dhikr are the gatherings of halal and haram you learn how to how to buy things you learn how to sell things you learn how to pray you learn how to fast you learn how to get married you learn how to get divorced you learn how to make hajj and things like this. So this is the gatherings of dhikr. وَكَانَ أَبُوْ السَّوَّارِ الْعَدَوِي فِي حَلْقَةٍ يَتَذَاكَرُونَ فِيهَا الْعِلْمِ وَمَعَهُمْ فَتَى شَابِ فَقَالَ لَهُمْ قُولُوا سُبْحَانَ اللَّهِ وَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ فَغَضِبَ أَبُوْ السَّوَّارِ وَقَالَ وَيْحَكَ فِي أَيِّ شَيْءٍ كُنَّا إِذَنْ فِي أَيِّ شَيْءٍ كُنَّا إِذَنْ He said Abu Sawar was in this gathering and they were in a gathering of knowledge. They were studying together, they were learning together. And there was a young man in the gathering. And the young man said to them, Say Subhanallah, say Alhamdulillah. You know, he's trying to turn it into a gathering of dhikr. So Abu Sawad, he got angry at him. He said, what's wrong with you? What, what are we in then? This thing that we're doing right now, if it's not a gathering of dhikr, then what's a gathering of dhikr? And what we're doing is dhikr. We're, we're studying knowledge. So there's many narrations like this. Uh, anyways. Point is, the Prophet وسلم, is encouraging to be in gatherings of dhikr, to be in a state of humility. Wahab ibn Nabih, one of the tabi'een, he said, Majlisun yutanaza'u fihi al-ilm, ahabu ilayya min qadrihi salatan. La'alla ahaduhum yasma'u al-kalima, fayantafi'u biha sanatan, aw ma baqiya min umri. He said, Wahab ibn Nabih, he said, to these gatherings where knowledge is discussed, is more beloved to me than their equivalent amount in prayer. It's more beloved to me than their equivalent amount in prayer. You sit in a, you could pray for an hour, right? You could pray for an hour, hour and a half, whatever else it might be. It's a lot of prayer, mashallah. But someone to sit and learn in that amount of time. He said, that's more beloved. To, their amount in knowledge is more beloved to me than their amount in prayer. And by the way, this is the opinion of. Probably all the madhabs, I'm not sure off the top of my head, but that when it comes to 
like seeking knowledge is a more meritorious thing than extra worship. Whether or not the Sunnah Mu'akkadah is included in that, there's a conversation. But like generally over extra worship, seeking knowledge is more is better. Uh, as a general thing. It can be particular, as we've talked about before, sometimes there can be particular um, exceptions or cases or whatever. He says, because maybe someone in that gathering will hear something and they'll benefit from it for an entire year or maybe for the rest of their life. You know, they might hear something and then they say, subhanAllah, and this thing will stick with them. They benefit from it for the rest of their life, so then it becomes, uh, it's a very important thing, right? Tamam. Uh, the author continues in Muhasibi, he says, وَبْذُلْ النَّصِيحَةَ لِلَّهِ وَلِرَسُولِهِ وَلِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَشَاوِرْ فِي أَمْرِكَ الَّذِينَ يَخْشَوْنَ اللَّهِ قَالَ اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلْ إِنَّمَا يَخْشَ اللَّهِ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ الْعُلَمَاءُ وَقَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ الدِّينُ النَّصِيحَةَ الدِّينُ النَّصِيحَةَ And then he says, وَعْلَمْ أَنَّ مَنْ نَصَحَكَ فَقَدْ أَحَبَّكَ وَمَنْ دَاهَنَكَ فَقَدْ غَشَّكَ وَمَنْ لَمْ يَقْبَلْ نَصِيحَتَكَ فَلَيْسَ بِأَخٍ he says, give nasiha to Allah and to the Prophet وسلم, and to the believers. And take counsel, make shura, take counsel in your issues with those who fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I feel like he said this once already, didn't he? I feel like we talked about this. There's some things they repeat themselves in the book. But uh, he says, give nasiha to Allah and to the Prophet وسلم, and to the believers. Nasiha, very briefly. Sometimes it's easier to understand something by an image. Okay? The image for me, for nasiha, is when you take a needle, right, like a sewing needle, and it has the eye of the needle, it's very, it's very small, and you have your thread, and you're trying to thread the needle. It's very delicate, right? Like if you just try to jam it, it doesn't work, then it gets split, and then you have to like cut it, and you have to start over, and you have to like, it gets it's a whole thing, right? You have to really take your time and you have to do it right and you have to pay attention and you get it in. And once you get it in, it works properly, right? This is nasiha. So, there's a level of sincerity that's needed in that. There's a level of concentration that's needed in that. There's a level of concern that's needed in that, and so on. They say that when we're talking about Allah and the Prophet and the Book of Allah, because in the narration of the hadith it mentions also, Wali kitabillah. Lillahi wali rasulihi wali kitabihi. And for the Imams of the Muslims and the general population of the Muslims. So, what does it mean when we're talking about Allah and the Prophet? It means that we have a level of sincerity and commitment to Allah and to the Prophet and to the Book of Allah. So, what it means to give nasiha to the Book of Allah is that I follow the teachings of the Book of Allah. And to Allah is that I follow the teachings of Allah. To the Prophet, that I follow the Prophet. To the believers is different. It means that sometimes I have to give someone advice. I have to give them some sort of counsel. Maybe I have to remind them of something. But when I do that, I do it the way that I thread the needle. You know, don't shove like a huge rope into the eye of the needle. It's not going to work. You know, uh, be, we have to be very gentle about the way that we do it. Okay, he says, and and take their shura, shawir fi amrika ladina yakhshon Allah. Take the shura of those who fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Take the shura of those who fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because they're going to give you a different type of shura, right? They're going to look at things in a different way. 
they're going to have a different perspective on it. They're going to take into consideration, you know, not just is it going to be successful, is it not going to be successful, is it going to work, is it not going to work. There's, there's a type of shura that's purely materialistic, right? Because this is the right way to do it, is it not the right way to do it, how should I set it up, so on. And then there's a shura that makes a person think about the akhirah, you know. Actually, one of the, I heard a story recently, I'll keep it anonymous. Of someone who, in their family, you know, they're like a family of people of knowledge. And they usually wear kind of like Eastern clothes, and they always wear something on their head. Okay? And they're like people of knowledge. And one of the kids in the family was going to medical school, so he was interviewing for medical school. And uh, the first two interviews that he did, he didn't wear anything on his head. Okay? Uh, and this is not like a, it's not to make anyone feel bad. This is his story. So he, he didn't wear anything on his head. And his father asked him afterwards, he said, how did the two interviews go? And he said, alhamdulillah, the interviews, they, I think they went really well. I answered all the questions really well and everything was good and so on and so forth. And his dad just asked him, he's like, did you wear your sunnah clothes? And he was like, uh, he's like, it was on Zoom. He kind of like got away with, <laughs> what is he wearing? You know? He's like, it was on Zoom. He said, were you wearing a topi on your head? And he said, no. Like his whole application is all Muslim stuff, like that he's an island, that he's this and that. Like it's, like it's against me already. He didn't wear anything on his head. And his dad was like, just so you know, those two, those two positions, you're not getting them. Allah's not going to give them to you. And he was like, okay. <laughs> he's like, in the next one, make sure you wear your topi. Then the third, third interview he did, and he wore his, he wore his topi, you know, like his hat. And it was actually really competitive placement. Really, really competitive placement. And then afterwards, he didn't get the first two and he got the third. SubhanAllah. You know? <laughs> the point is not to like, again, it's not to... The point is his father is giving him nasiha that's more connected with the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the relationship that he has with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than about like the details of how did the interview go. You know, He's not just asking him like, did you prepare properly? He's asking him like, did you make dua? Did you say bismillah? You know, there's there's other things to consider when we go into something. Again, we always say we want to look at the world with two eyes. One of those eyes is actually how do you deal with the world? You have to you have to know that. You can't get away from it. And the other eye of it is like how do I make sure that I'm connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the way that I'm doing this thing? To give advice, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, إِنَّمَا يَخْشَ اللَّهَ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ الْعُلَمَاءُ Important thing to know about the Arabic language is the placement in the sentence is not the indicator of the meaning. Grammatically. I'm trying to figure out how to say this correctly. It is an indicator of the meaning, but not بَلَاغِيًا, it's an indicator of the meaning. But نَحْوِيًا, it's not an indicator of the meaning. Okay, so what does it mean? In English, usually, if you put something in, you put the word in a certain place in the sentence, it tells you what it is. This is the one, you put this one first, this is the person who's doing it, that's the object. I don't know what they're called in English, sorry. Um, but in Arabic, it doesn't work that way. Like, the actor is not necessarily just the thing that comes first. You know the position of the word in the sentence based on the end of the word. The last harakah on the word. So, 
I say this because someone asked me about this in Arab. They they never they're, they're Arab. They grew up learning Arabic stuff like that, but they didn't apparently uh, understand this issue in grammar. So they asked me this question. They're like, how can it say, How can it say that Allah fears the ulama? It doesn't say that, right? But if you're going by the order of the sentence, it says fear, Allah, then scholars. So if you just go by the order of the sentence, you think this, Allah is the one who fears and scholars are the thing that's being feared. It doesn't, that's not what it's saying. It's actually by the grammar of the sentence, it's, it's saying that uh, it's, the, it's the people of knowledge who truly fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Prophet said that the religion is to give good counsel, sincere counsel. And then he said, and know that the one who gives you good counsel, then they love you. The one who gives you good counsel, they love you. It's a sign that they love you. And the one who's always just uh, basically flattering you, you know, just saying whatever is going to make you happy, then they've deceived you. Know that the one who gives you advice, they're the one who loves you. And the one who's just flattering you all the time, they're the one who deceives you. There's many different ways to give advice, you know, just uh, as a side point, but we are in need of people in our lives who will tell us the truth. And uh, if you remind me, I'll tell you a story after the recording is over. I don't want this one to be recorded. <laughs> if you remind me on this point, the point is we are in need of people in our lives who will give us sincere and true advice. They'll actually tell us what they think and their opinion on something. Okay? If you remind me, I'll tell you. Alright. Uh, but we're in need of that. And whoever doesn't accept your nasiha, then they're not your brother. They're not a brother to you. If they don't see, if, if they don't love you, if they love you, they should give you nasiha. And if they're truly your brother or your sister, they should accept your nasiha. No? That's it. Then if they're not... If you go, of course, assuming that you did this in a way that's appropriate, right? You did it privately, you, went to, you made sure you understood what you were saying, you gave them sincere counsel, so on and so forth. If they gave some sort of comments on it, you're willing to accept their comment, maybe you didn't understand, you know. All of the things are in place. If all of the things are in place, and they don't want to hear anything from you, then they're not really your brother. They're not really your sister. Yeah. Uh, Umar ibn Khattab, radiallahu an, he said, قال عمر بن الخطاب رضي الله تعالى عنه لا خير في قوم ليسوا بناصحين ولا خير في قوم لا يحبون الناصحين واو عمر بن الخطاب said there's no good in a people who do not give nasiha and there's no good in a people who do not love nasiha it's a sign of their sincerity right because what is the end goal the end goal is that we can better ourselves in our relationship with Allah the reality of that is that we can't really do that ourselves. There's a limit on it. It's one of the most scary things, you know? Sometimes you have an interaction with someone and you realize that maybe there's something that they're doing that they have no idea that they're doing it. And then you start to think like, oh my God, how many of those things do I have? And, and I wouldn't even know. Like there's probably things I've been doing them for like 20 years. I don't even know that I'm doing them and I, and I can't see like, I have a blind spot to this, you know. Uh, Brother Ali says, the eye can't see itself. The eye can't see itself. No matter how, how sharp the sword is, it can't carve its own blade. 
the sword can't carve itself. No matter how sharp the sword is, it can't carve itself. Right? So there's certain limitations on it. And that's why they say that one of the things that we need is we need good friends that will tell us these things. And, and we need enemies even. Because our enemies will always find our mistakes. And then because they found them, then alhamdulillah we know them. If the actual goal is to find my mistakes so I can try to fix them and be better in my relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then it's like, okay, alhamdulillah, this person, they told me something. <laughs> they found my mistakes. The enemies will always find our mistakes. So uh, he said there's no good in a people that they don't give this good counsel and they don't love those uh, who give good counsel. And they don't love those who give good counsel. Again, just because uh, something is sometimes done wrong doesn't mean we throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? It's a, good, it's a good proverb. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. So I'm like, wait a second, you know? All these people have given nasiha in a way that's ugly and it's, it's repulsive and it makes them not want to hear it. And so that doesn't mean we get rid of the principle. The principle is still that this is important and it's good. And, you know, Allah help us. Then he continues and he says something really beautiful. Uh, I posted it, so some of you may have seen it. He says, وَآثِرِ الصِّدْقَ فِي كُلِّ مَوْتِنٍ تَغْنَمْ وَاعْتَزِنْ فُضُولَ تَسْنَمْ This is an easy one to memorize. If you speak Arabic, just memorize it, okay? وَآثِرِ الصِّدْقَ فِي كُلِّ مَوْتٍ تَغْنَمْ وَآثِرِ الصِّدْقَ فِي كُلِّ مَوْتٍ تَغْنَمْ وَآثِرِ الصِّدْقَ فِي كُلِّ مَوْتٍ تَغْنَمْ وَاعْتَزِنْ فُضُولَ it means, you know, ethod. You guys remember the word ethod? Hmm? What does ethod mean? Ethod. What does it mean? Anyone remember? Pop quiz. Your brain was just about to float off thinking about burgers. <laughs> Bring you back. What does ethod mean? Nobody? Should just pack up and leave? Like we've talked about this at least 20 times. What does Ethan mean? You looked it up? Alhamdulillah. It's not a bad thing to do. There's worse things you could do. <laughs> it's not a bad thing to do. So it means selflessness. Okay. Give me like a, a sentence definition. What is ethar? What is ethar? And I'll tell you a cool story. In the books of spirituality, they often say that ethar is the highest level of ukhuwa, it's the highest level of brotherhood. Okay? Ethar is, I have something and I need it. And someone else needs it and I give it to them. Not that I have something and it's extra or I don't need it or anything. I have something and I need it. I just read some story about this with someone. I can't remember what it was. Anyways, uh, I have something and I need it, and someone else needs it, and I give it to them. That's ethod. Okay? So I say the highest level of brotherhood is this. So one of our shiyukh, someone, it might have been Muslim, I think it was Muslim, I asked him, 
they say that you thought is the highest level of brotherhood and so on and so forth. What do you think? It's the highest type of love. And he said, he said, no, there's no limit to love. Like, there's no limit to it that you can put like a particular definition to say this is the top level of it. It actually keeps going, you know. So ethar, he said, do ethar of a sidqa fi kulli mawtin. Do ethar of sidq in every situation. In every situation, do ethar of sidq. What does this mean? Because if you, when you pay attention to it, it means something different, right? So sidq is to be honest and true, right? So we know maybe there's a situation where to be honest and true is going to go against us. Right? It's going to be in the favor of the other person. And it's going to hurt us. That's doing ethar of sidq. You prefer the, prefer the truthfulness over myself. This is a really important thing. If in end we always say in Arabic, you say, truth, truth is told. You know, the truth be told. I think in English you say the truth, truth be told. Truth be told, such and such, right? If it's true, it's true. You know, it's, it's, what can you do about it? If it's true, it's true. Doesn't make you look good, doesn't make you this, doesn't make you that. You want to do this and that and whatever else. Truth is the truth. Prefer sitq in every situation. Taghnam. Taghnam means you'll actually be the one who gains. You'll be the one who gets the ghanima. The ghanima is like the spoils of war. Right? So you think that you're losing from it, but you're actually winning. Prefer sitq in every situation, situation, and you will be the one who wins. Why? Because you preferred Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, and who owns everything? It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if I give up what seems, if I, if I take an L, right, seemingly I take an L for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then I win. And, and, what, and what Allah will give me will be far greater than what I thought I was giving up or what I was going to get for myself. Far greater. Far greater. This is a principle. Yani, try it. Just try it. You know, Some of these things you read it in the book, just try it. And everyone, we live our lives, there's, there's things that happen every week. You know, every week there's going to be something. Okay, what am I going to do right now? Am I going to say the truth? Am I going to hold up the truth? Am I going to do this? Am I going to do that? It's going to be choices every single week. So I'm going to get, this week, I'm going to give ethar to what's, tr what's true. You know? And inshallah, I'm going to be victorious because of that. Not only in the hereafter, in this life too. In this life too. This could probably be like a whole book. And then he says, in Fudula. Actually, let me give you a couple stories first. Imam Ahmed. It was said to Imam Ahmed, how did you escape and get away from the sword of Al-Mu'tasim and the whip of Al-Wathiq? Uh, Imam Ahmed was imprisoned under three different khalifas, right? And, and beaten and tortured and stuff. He said, how did you escape from this? How did you get away from the sword and the whip? He said, As-Sidqu ala jurhin. <laughs> like, how do you come up with that? <laughs> Sometimes you read things, you're like, how do you? Subhanallah, like Allah just put something in their heart. And He said, it's sidq. If you take it and you put it on a wound, the wound is healed. 
does that like your answer right away? You know? You ever read these things and think that? Or am I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, the, I'm the only weirdo that does this, you know? Like, you just, I'm, sitting, I'm reading, I'm like, how? Like, how? You know, because like, uh, I, I'm in community work, right? People come and ask you things all the time. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? What's, how do we do this? How do we do that? And every time they ask, I'm like, subhanAllah, how do you answer that question? You know, like, what do you say to that? And then you read these stories, and these people said things, and you just think, he said a sidq, if you put it on the wound, it's healed. I'm like, ajeeb, what an amazing thing. What an amazing answer. Incredible. Another, uh, someone else. Uh, Ahmed ibn Hanbal, again, he was asked. He said, what is it that elevated some people to the point that they were praised by others? And his whole answer was, a sidq. It's just a sidq. Actually, one of the definitions of the spiritual path that's given is, a sidq ma'al haq, wa husnul khuliqi ma'al khalq. Incredible definition. A sidq ma'al haq, wa husnul khuliqi ma'al khalq. What is the whole journey to Allah? To be, have sidq with Allah, to have good character with the creation. If you forget everything else, just remember this. When be true with Allah, have good character with the creation. Forget all the other details you forget. Just don't forget that detail. He says by sidq. Uh, another scholar, he was asked, he, or he said, that the most honorable of characteristics is sidq al-lisan. To be truthful in one's speech. And if a person loses truthfulness, then they've taken a huge blow in, in their character. They've taken a huge blow in their character. Like everything else is going to fall apart because they don't have this truthfulness. And the opposite of it is kadhib. You know, someone who's distruth, distrustful, um, dishonest, I mean, they're lying and stuff like this. It's very bad. I feel like the food is ready. Is it? I can't tell. Who else? I think it is. That looks like it's probably all of it. So I think we'll stop here. I'll give you a teaser so we come back to it. The second half of the thing that he said was, and leave fudul, you'll be safe. And fudul is like talking about things and being concerned about things that are not worth being concerned about. And if you leave that, then you'll be safe. There's a lot to say about this, so we'll have to leave it for next time. But one of the righteous people, uh, he said, I trained myself to leave sins. And it took like maybe a year or two, and I, I accomplished it. And then he said, and I trained my tongue to leave speaking about things that don't concern me. He said, and it took me 15 years. He said, it took me 15 years and I locked it down. <laughs> and then one of the people says, it looks like it took him his whole life. Because he died at 38. So it took him 15 years. Basically, he spent his whole life trying to get his tongue in order. And then he got his tongue in order. Allah took his life. SubhanAllah. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we'll come back to this next time, inshallah. Any questions or comments or anything? Yes. <laughs> you said to remind you, yeah. You remembered. All right. Anyone else have any questions or anything before we do that?